Hello and welcome to Trinity Fit Over 40 podcast with me, Rob Burkhead. Today's podcast is with Dale Pinnock, a nutritionist with a degree in human nutrition, a degree in herbal medicine, and a postgraduate degree in nutritional medicine. He's a Sunday Times bestselling author of 19 books, a TV presenter, a broadcaster, and a teacher. And you can find him on Instagram at The Medicinal Chef, where he shares loads of great actionable content, or on his website, dalepinnock.com. So in today's episode, we discuss some of the most common diet myths out there, including whether calories actually matter, or are they just a scam created by food manufacturers to sell more food, cooking oils, and how the most commonly used ones can be really bad for information and for our health, and what to use instead, what makes up a healthy breakfast, and where most people are going wrong with that, salt, and whether it's something we should even be concerned about at all, and much, much more beside it. It's a fascinating episode. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So sit back and relax and welcome to today's podcast. I'm here today with Dale Pinnock. So Dale's, um, you know, super qualified, got a degree in human nutrition, herbal medicine, uh, postgrad degree in nutritional medicine. You're a Sunday, Sunday Times bestselling author of 19 books written one, don't know how you've written 19, um, <laughs> TV presenter, broadcaster, teacher, do it all. And you bring amazing, clear, concise, like nutrition information um, to help people make better choices um, and to make it simple. So what I want to do today is get straight into some of the biggest myths that we hear. And there's um, one or two. Yes, there's a few and get into debunking them, but also giving people like something they can then go and do. So it's not just that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, and then they're confused. So the first one I want to get into, Dale, is calories. Ah, yes. So do they... Start with the biggest of all, yeah. Exactly. So do they matter, in your opinion, like if we go super high level, do they matter at any level? And if not, why not? It's not that they don't matter, right? I, I think let's take a bit of a step back. There's obviously this view, this, this constant messaging, particularly in the fitness world, that if you want to lose weight, it's all about calories in versus calories out. You've got to be in the calorie deficit. I actually don't agree with that statement. A statement that I would defend is a slight adjustment on that, which is, when you lose weight, you use more than you store. Those are two very, very different things, biochemically speaking, okay? Because you think about what a calorie is. It's like an, an end measurement of energy released during a certain reaction. Most people don't even know how calories are measured, okay? So calories are measured in this contraption called a bomb calorimeter, which is a pressurized container filled with water and within that is a, a sealed chamber that a food sample is placed into and then incinerated and the amount of heat released is measured now this food sample is burnt to ash already that should start plotting a few question marks in people's minds that doesn't happen in our body there is not a combustion reaction in the body. I mean, I've had a few curries in the past that's felt like there's a combustion reaction, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, ash doesn't come out your backside. It's clear that there's different, you know, we work in a different way. We are not a combustion engine. So if we're just reliant on those values, on that kind of energy released during combustion reaction type values, we're completely overlooking the simple fact that substrate is king when we're talking about biochemistry and human beings we are driven by biochemistry we are biochemical systems we are physiological systems substrate is king substrate is the initial item that is fed into a reaction okay different substrates drive different types of chemical responses and that's the level we need to be thinking at when it comes to approaching diet you could get 300 calories of broccoli, 300 calories of butter, and 300 calories of sugar or M&Ms or whatever. You would have to be on some pretty spectacular drugs to think and to truly believe that, though, that the actual end response, the end physiological response, 
would be the same. Okay, because if you're buying into this whole calorie model, then it shouldn't matter. The end point is as long as you're in this magic caloric deficit, then you won't put on weight regardless of what you're eating. And, and to, to be fair, that's kind of like infant school level conclusion drawing, to be, to be honest. And, and I, don't, I don't say that like to be a dick. I'm not kind of saying that in like any kind of judgmental way. It's just such simplistic ways of thinking that we have been led to believe. Different types of food, different substrates, different macros, even if you want to go on that level, if you want to kind of talk that fitness language, different macros will influence different physiological events in different ways. So here's, here's just, just some of the basics, right? With carbohydrates, when we consume carbohydrates, that obviously, as, as we break them down, and as we digest them, their glucose content, content will be liberated. When that glucose content is liberated, that elevates blood glucose. When blood glucose is elevated, the body responds by releasing the hormone insulin. Insulin binds to an insulin receptor on our cells and opens a little doorway called a glucose transporter that allows the cells to take in glucose that they then use to make adenosine triphosphate, ATP, which is what our cells actually run on. All good, all fantastic. The thing is, our cells can only take in so much glucose in one single sitting because like everything else in the body, homeostasis and balance is key. Too much glucose in a cell can cause what we call glucotoxicity, which is essentially damage to genetic material, damage to organelles and key structures within the cell. So there is a fine line. The cell will take in as much as it can safely and healthily deal with in one single sitting, and then when it reaches that saturation point, it shuts the door. It shuts the glucose transporter. Now, blood sugar that's too high or too low, both are potentially life-threatening states. So if we're at a point where the cell has taken in as much as it can deal with in that sitting and it's closed the glucose transporter, and there's still a level of blood glucose above the upper parameter, because that's potentially life-threatening, it's got to be dealt with. So the next thing that happens is we will start to turn some of that excess load into glycogen, which is a storage form of glucose within the skeletal muscle and the liver. But we only store a very small amount of glycogen. Once glycogen levels are full, so cells are full, glycogen levels are full, blood glucose is still above the safe parameter. It's got to be dealt with. So the, the next thing that happens to it, to get those levels back down to the safe levels, that excess will be sent to the liver and converted into triglycerides. Triglycerides, these are fats that are stored in adipose tissue. Several things happen. Firstly, you start to gain weight, particularly visceral fats, the fat that kind of clings to the organs, and it's like the, the hard belly fat that people talk about. Or we get that abdominal weight gain that no matter how much cardio or, or how many bloody burpees people do, it doesn't shift. You've got other improvements, other changes in body composition, but that little band just won't shift because it's driven by, by hormones and stuff. So that will happen regardless of total caloric intake because it's got nothing to do with the energy that it contains. What it's got to do with is how that substrate, i.e. glucose, has the potential to negatively influence in that immediate time frame multiple aspects of phys physiology. That substrate, because it's at an excess within that time frame, has the potential to cause damage. So the body preferentially partitions that substrate to get it the hell out of the way so it doesn't cause damage. It doesn't give two boots what the caloric value is. It's like, there is too much of that in one sitting. I need to get it out of the way so that we don't get like rapid oxidative damage to like the endothelium of, a, of our blood cells. So we don't start getting aggressive inflammatory responses, et cetera, et cetera. Similar thing can happen with fat. Like you can, if you eat too much fat in one sitting, especially if you're eating it alongside too many refined carbohydrates, 
then you obviously when we eat fat, we get what's called postprandial lipemia or a postprandial lipemic response where blood fat concentration goes up. If if you're following a keto diet, then you know that's that's probably less serious. But most people aren't, or if they are, they're not really doing it right. Um, again, you will get preferential storage of triglycerides to get that balance back. And that doesn't matter whether someone is like daily in because I've worked with hundreds of patients where I look at look at their look at their caloric intake. And if it was just based on that, they should, you know, they should look like the green goddess, but they don't. Do you, I mean, they're carrying all of this visceral fat. They've got the, this, this sort of abdominal weight gain that just won't shift because the hormonal control systems and the homeostatic mechanisms that actually are keeping them alive is what's keeping them in that state. So it's all about the composition of the diet. So let's kind of reverse engineer what, what we've just talked about. The kind of carbohydrates that will cause that response are the white bread, the white rice, the white pasta, sugar, sugary snacks, those kinds of things. Because there's no fiber there, it takes very, very little digestive effort to liberate that glucose. So all of a sudden, you've just carpet bombed blood glucose that response is going to cause those events that I spoke about. You could, so if you compared white rice and brown rice, for example, when you look at them calorically, they're pretty much the same. In terms of total glucose amount, they're exactly the same. But the impact that they have on blood glucose, on insulin spikes, on triglyceride formation, et cetera, et cetera, are drastically different because there's one thing that separates them. The brown rice has got the fiber. Because the fiber's present, it takes far more digestive effort to liberate that glucose. So that means that blood sugar is drip-fed. You just get a slow, gentle trickle of blood glucose. And what that does is it means, yes, of course, you get the insulin response, the, the glucose transport is open, but the cells can just take in that constant gentle flow of glucose, convert that into ATP. Everything's fine. There's no excess. There's no kind of physiological adaptation to being overwhelmed with that specific substrate. Everything's fine. Everything's good. So really what it comes down to is having that awareness of the quality of our diet rather than being fixated on some ridiculous arbitrary terminology that let's be fair and let's you know let's call call a spade a spade right for most people it's a really really easy thing because here's you know here's like the, the the clincher human biochemistry metabolic science is really bloody complicated it's really really difficult I did nine years of university studying this shit, and I still scratch my head sometimes because you can tie yourself up in knots. It's incredibly complicated. For most kind of people that are like active online and the, the kind of you know nutrition influencer type, they just haven't been in this game long enough to understand it. But when you look at when you look at people like Professor Giles Eo from Cambridge University, when you look at people like Professor Tim Spector from Kings. Or a good friend of mine, Dr. Alex Richardson, who was based at Oxford and now runs food and behavior research. When they're all kind of singing that same message, saying, look, the whole calorie thing, it's nonsense. Don't get fixated on that. When you actually go back to proper metabolic science, you realize what a nonsensical focal point it actually is. The beauty of all of that is counting calories for most people is an absolute ball ache. It's a pain in the ass. It just is a nightmare. But if you just say to people, look, swap your white for a brown, like with all your day-to-day -day carbohydrates, swap the white for brown, multi-grain bread over white. Make sure every time you look at your plate, think, okay, where's my protein? So good quality protein at each meal that will actually further slow down the, the, the release of glucose, further slow down the release of fatty acids, all of that kind of stuff. It will take much longer to liberate all of those macros that can skew that metabolic environment. And also, when you look at your plate, where's the healthy fats? Where's the non-starchy, brightly colored veg? Something as simple as that is far easier for people to adhere to. And the actual physiological implications of making that kind of dietary change 
is far superior than just. I mean, this is why. This is why I, the thing. One of the things that I, I think that these people should in, individually be tracked down and shot. Not literally. <laughs> don't quote me on that. Um, is is when you kind of do the have the comparison of like you know the calories in a chocolate bar and calories in an avocado and say, like, oh yeah, 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 look, look, you can have chocolate and it doesn't matter. It's just like, mate, you don't deserve to be giving people health advice. You know, you should just be doing something else. Um, it's an it's an easy sell, isn't it? That's why it's, it's much easier to say someone. Well, it doesn't matter if you have broccoli or chocolate because it's the same calories. So you it's not that it's an easy. It's not, well, I, I guess it's an easy sell. But people want good news about their bad habits. That's, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's it's as simple as that. You know, we all we all want to be told like 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 with with keto and stuff. It's like yes, you can live on bacon and cream. It's like, well, no, you can't. I mean, you, you can, but if you want to see fifty, you probably shouldn't. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, that's that's my view on calories. Yes, it's Sorry, that, that that was that wasn't a concise answer, but I think it's an important thing for people to hear, though, right? Because as we said, especially in the industry we're in, so the fitness industry, mm. every day I see videos about it's just calories in versus calories out. It's just calories. The only reason you're yeah. not losing weight is because you're not in a deficit. And yeah, and one thing what most people like overlook as well is like those people saying it. They're like 25. When I was 25. I was, you know, I I, I had it's like a sort of like seven or eight percent body fat, probably because I had like the frame of a bag of pipe cleaners. I had like no no muscular definition whatsoever. When I was in my twenties, I, I kind of looked like that. But the thing is, when when <clears throat> those guys have finished working with people, that's when they come to me, and their metabolic health is completely screwed, and you know they're they're at, they're at risk of type two diabetes. Their cardiovascular health is all over the place. They can't lose weight anymore. Their sleep patterns are knackered. We get we we kind of get their 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 metabolic health completely improved in multiple levels, and you know they've 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 got their life back. This is the thing. This is if 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 there wasn't so much was this, if there weren't so many dangerous implications of that messaging, it would be easy to laugh it off. But one of the the reasons that I I, I get so vocal about it is because I see so many people that are in declining health because they've just been following that dogma. They've either been counting calories or just as bad. They've been on one of these mainstream uh, weight loss club type Mm. programs where they've been counting God knows what, counting some other kind of arbitrary thing. And, and there's usually some dodgy loopholes in those, right? Like you can have unlimited Muller corner yogurts because yeah. they've got an affiliation with Muller. I don't know. I, well, you know what? That's that's how that kind of stuff works. It's like we've just got to get back to basics. Just getting back to basics. I mean, like it's, it's mad. If you look at if you look at photographs of like British beaches in the sixties and seventies, and then you look at the photographs of British beaches in this day and age, people look kind of different. You know, yeah, it's, it's sad, isn't it? Like yeah, it's upsetting it's, for us. It's the environment, you know, the the food environment and the information environment is skewed in in. I mean, we are in an obesogenic environment. There 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 are so many things. Whether it whether it's food availability, we can't overlook the fact that with everything that's going on in the UK at the moment, people's choices are absolutely going to be affected. And unfortunately, most of the processed crap is cheap as chips. Whereas, yeah. you know, although I've proved this otherwise, we should, we showed this on uh, Eat Shop Save loads of times. If you shop smart and and think about what's in your local area, you can get loads of fresh fruit and veg for often cheaper than you would get the processed stuff. But not everyone automatically has access to that. It's so convenient to get processed crap wherever you go. The amount of misinformation, like everything that we've just talked about, is kind of skewing the decisions that people are making as well. We are in an obesogenic environment, and we need to get back to basics. We need to be eating in a way that people were eating in the 50s, 60s, before all this convenience wave hit us. You know, the, the old school meat and two veg. And the the food industry, we have to be careful, but what, like they're obviously playing a part in this as well, right? I think they have... They? They want to push that as calorie is, agenda, don't they? they, right? Or the, there's the wheel, what do you call it? The traffic light system or the, cal- you know, there's these ready meals saying 300 and something calories. Like, what are your thoughts on, yeah, but, on that? Well, it's just like, well, exactly that. It's just like, okay, where are the 300 calories coming from? 
you know what I mean? It's like we, we should be able to look at it. I mean, like with with some ready meals, there's there's great ready meals out there. Like there's mm. there's um there's a couple of brands now that like you look at it and this it's brown rice, there's loads of minimally cooked veg, there's great protein in there, it's beautifully balanced. Because there are people out there that are trying to make a difference, that are trying to 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 actually make change. As long as you're kind of visually aware of what good choices look like, that just takes all of that excess fretting and thinking out of the equation. You don't need to sit there and look at the the, the caloric values and grams of fat and stuff like that. It's like, look, take a look. What does it contain? Oh, brown rice, avocado, salmon, and edamame beans. Cool. That's a whole food. That's a whole food option. You look at the other one. It's like it's white rice and like a. a battered chicken in like a, a sticky glaze sauce it's like chemical shitstorm you know it just it's just a case of getting back to basics and that's that's the level that i try and work at it's just like giving people the simplest tools because you know to to quote the great tony robbins the enemy of execution is complexity yeah if, if it's too difficult people are just going to bin it off and I don't, I don't know what you think of this. So when I, I do read the labels and do encourage clients to read certain things. So I would say, look at protein and look at sugar. So sugar, not too high protein. Try, you know, if you are going to buy a packaged food, would those, like which things, if you ever look at the label, what would you look for? Um, I would look for, I, w- I would look for sugar, but I would also, I mean, one of my other little obsessions, you know, perhaps I need a social life. I don't know, um, <laughs> is um, fatty acids and, the the implication of fatty acids on inflammatory load right i'll look at the kind of oils that are in there if there's sunflower oil if there's vegetable oil if there's corn oil soybean oil even rapeseed oil sorry to burst that bubble for people because i know everyone's bloody obsessed with it at the minute god knows why Mm. those oils they contain very high amounts of omega-6 fatty acids we'll talk about that whole thing in a minute if you if you want to go down that rabbit hole oh yeah definitely if if you thought calories was bad wait till you get wait till you get me on this soapbox um i I, i'll just keep away from anything even it it could have the most wonderful whole food ingredients but then if there's that that kind of crappy oil in it i'll just be like um because it's it's so easy now when when you go i mean especially not when when you're on the road or something like that you can go into a supermarket you can get you can get a bag of chopped up vegetables like veggie crudités and you can get some cooked chicken or yeah cooked fish or something like that or or king prawns or you know if if you're vegetarian like cheeses or vegan there's there's like marinated tofu now the, the options are there and you yeah. can just put things together like that that's the easiest way to do something like that so fatty acids hmm right Obviously, when, when we're thinking about metabolic health, one of the if 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 you look to give you an idea of how important inflammation is, if we look at everything that happened during COVID, when you take advanced age or previous respiratory conditions out of the equation, the people that were faring the worst in hospitals and where there were the highest numbers of fatalities were people that had a increased inflammatory baseline so it's people that were obese people that were type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes and people with multiple markers of poor metabolic health because with that comes an elevated inflammatory load elevated inflammation is to degenerative disease what petrol is to a bonfire it accelerates it accelerates the aging process it accelerates damage in the cardiovascular system it I mean, you'll find this This isn't any kind of dramatic statement or hyperbole here. You'll find this in any A-level pathology textbook. This is Pathology 101. Prolonged inflammation in tissues can activate or influence certain genes, particularly genes that are controlled, that are involved in controlling cellular replication, i.e. prolonged inflammation can instigate cancer. So is, managing inflammation is a serious thing. And in the context of, of COVID, it was the, the the cytokine storm that happens during infection that con, that doubled up with their underlying inflammatory load that basically pushed them over the edge. So managing inflammation is vital for long-term health. Now, inflammation is controlled partly by the immune system, but the biggest controller of inflammation is 
a group of compounds called prostaglandins. Okay. Three types of prostaglandin, three main types anyway, series one, series two, and series three. Series one prostaglandins, these sort of gently tone down inflammation. Series two prostaglandins, these aggressively switch on and exacerbate inflammation. They are like the petrol on the bonfire when it comes to inflammation. And then you've got the series three prostaglandin, which is like the fire brigade. They're the thing that just come out and just extinguish that inflammatory flame rapidly. They really push down the inflammatory response. Prostaglandins are made from fatty acids in the diet. Okay, different fatty acids are metabolized to form different prostaglandins. The two main important fatty acids in the human diet are the omega-6 and omega-3. You might have heard of omega-9 and stuff like that. They don't influence inflammation at all. But the two that we're interested in are omega-6 and omega-3. Now, both of those are essential, but the amounts of each that we need varies dramatically. And getting that ratio right will influence this inflammatory balance. Now, omega-6 fatty acids, we absolutely do need them in very, very small amounts. In small amounts, there's very important roles for the brain and the nervous system. There's very important roles for hormonal expression, particularly female hormones. That's why things like evening primrose oil are so effective in things like breast tenderness, for example, because they've got those key important omega-6 fatty acids that do an important job. The thing is, we only need that tiny amount each day to form those beneficial compounds. Once the actual metabolic pathways that give rise to those beneficial compounds are saturated, so once we've taken in the amount that we need, any excess, because that pathway is already full, gets shuttled down a different metabolic pathway. And it's a metabolic pathway that turns omega-6 fatty acids into something called arachidonic acid. Arachidonic acid then turns into the series two prostaglandin, that prostaglandin that fires up that inflammatory flame. Now, the omega-3 fatty acids, on the other hand, which we must, you know, we must get from the right sources. I'll get onto that in a minute. Mm -hmm. The long chain omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA, these feed into the pathways that create the series one and the series three prostaglandins. So DHA, that will turn into the series one prostaglandins, and then also another group of compounds called delta resolvins that have not, not long been discovered. We're still learning more about. And then the EPA, that will go down the pathway that gives rise to the very potent anti-inflammatory series three prostaglandin. Okay. So in essence, what we need to aim for is way more omega-3 and way less omega-6. The primary source of omega-6 in our diet is seed oils. So sunflower oil, vegetable oil, corn oil, all of that kind of stuff. When we were told that we needed to cut out saturated fat and instead move over to the heart-healthy vegetable oils and margarines and your vegetable oil that's supposed to be good for the heart, especially, I, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the 80s, but um, you know, some of the advertising campaigns in the, in the 80s telling people to use margarine because it will protect their heart and all that kind of stuff. What that, what that caused is an intake in average, on average in the UK, around about 26 times more omega-6 per day than we actually need. So that's just feeding straight into that pro-inflammatory pathway. If we cut back on those kinds of fats and then make a concerted effort to increase our intake of omega-3, then we can we can change that picture. But you've got to make sure that the omega-3 is coming from the right sources. Okay. So here's like an, another little a mini soapbox within the soapbox. So omega-3 isn't one single substance. It's a whole family of fatty acids, EPA, DHA, ALA, sorry, ALA, EPA, DHA, DPA. Those are the omega-3 fatty acids. There's only two that have any influence on human physiology. That's the long chain EPA and DHA. Yeah. Those you find in oily fish like salmon, mackerel herrings, or grass-fed meat, or a supplement. What drives me absolutely potty is when you hear people say, oh, flax seeds, chia, walnuts, all of those kind of things, loads of omega-3. You don't need to eat fish. Yeah, there's tons of omega-3 in there, but it exists in the form of ALA. 
ALA needs to go through significant enzymatic conversion to be converted into the long chain EPA and DHA. Human beings are really, really poor at doing that conversion. We're looking at about, I don't know, 4% conversion of ALA into EPA and about a 0.6 conversion of ALA to DHA. So if you are following a plant-based diet and you know, and you absolutely want to stick to that, you've got one option and one option alone, and that is to supplement. You've got to get a supplement derived from algae that contains both EPA and DHA. There's plenty on the market and you can fill that gap straight away. But by having that focus, like the, the long chain omega-3 fatty acids going up, intake of omega-6 going down, you can really manipulate that inflammatory pathway. And that is one of the biggest influences on cardiovascular disease risk that you could get so how can like I'm, I'm also passionate about this um so i will read all the nutrition labels i don't know what you do <clears throat> pardon me to look out for these things but i will if i'm buying a packaged food anyway go like again red flag there's that rapeseed oil or whatever it is often it's in like mayonnaise type things isn't it in sauces in yeah um there's some some, some if you're buying cheap biscuits, I don't buy this stuff with like cakes, biscuits, things like that. They often have a lot of these oils in as yeah. well as a cheap substitute, maybe hydrogenated oils as well for butter. Like what would you look out for? So we need to get more omega-3. So eat more fish, grass-fed meat or supplement. I need yep. to remember to take my supplement today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's also watching out for that omega-6, isn't it? So it's going yeah, yeah. to it's, stop that. Don't, probably the best place to look is the ingredients. Yeah. I'm not that fixated on the on the kind of nutrition information no because that can that can be misleading you know where the fat's coming from right it just says exactly look at the ingredients and if if there's um yeah any of those kind of vegetable oils the only one that, that so i only cook with extra virgin olive oil yeah same that's it because the dominant the dominant um fatty acid in there is oleic acid which is an omega-9 fatty acid which has no impact on the inflammatory cascade whatsoever but it does have benefits for cardiovascular health and for supporting the microbiome so um olive oil is is number one if you're cooking at home and if you're getting those kind of ready meals just try and find ones that haven't got or if they've got some in just a small amount because remember the thing is is to have more omega-3 than omega-6 so even if if that was your only option this thing with the omega-6 oil in there, you could buffer that out by taking a supplement later on yeah. in the day or by having some oily fish in the evening or whatever. So it's not, it's not like if you eat it, you're going to drop dead. It's about the ratios. It's about yeah, the it's general like pattern. Isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And you want the omega-3. Because they, 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 both, they, they both compete for the same enzymatic pathways. There's pathways like uh, elongase enzymes and desaturase enzymes, this whole series of steps that turns them into the 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 prostaglandins at the final final point the more again do you remember one of the first things that i said substrate is key okay so if you feed more of one substrate in i.e omega-3 you're going to get more of that exposed to those metabolic pathways which means the metabolic end product is going to be the omega-3 derived series one series three but if you've got more omega-6 going in there more of that substrate then of course you're going to get more omega-6 derived metabolic end products it just makes sense so if if you skew it towards omega-3 you're going to get more of the anti-inflammatory um prostaglandins so we've talked about fats we've talked about calories yes the next one i want to go through is kind of salt and i'm still undecided on this um i would love to hear your take on this because i know if it's food packaging and it's the traffic light system it's like red salt um Often I know that's packaged with a lot of other rubbish that we've already talked about, but yeah, in general, I, yeah, I know you put a really good video up about this the other day as well. I believe there's like something to do with the quality of the salt, what it comes packaged with again. Like what's your thoughts on salt? Well, when we say salt, what is it we actually mean? If we're talking sodium, then excess sodium can be problematic. So I will say to people, think about if, if, we, if we're looking at packaged and processed foods, you know, you can, um, what was it? I saw someone put, you bet your bollocks to a barn dance. I think that was like some weird Andrew Tate suite or something. That sort of what the hell is he on about? Anyway, there's, um, you can bet your life that if, if you're looking at processed foods, 
it's going to be table salt, pure yeah. sodium chloride that they use because it's cheap as chips. And it's a cheap way to get that salty flavor in. But that's the one that causes an issue because excess sodium is problematic. Now, sodium is one of the most abundant minerals in the body. It's um, involved in cross-membrane cellular communication. It's involved in action potentials in the neurons. It's got so many important roles to play. And trust me, if your sodium level, levels dip down too far, you can slip into a coma. So you need it. However, in excess, just as damaging. You know, like, like going back to what we were talking about with glucose, too high or too low, both potentially life-threatening states. So the body's always looking for equilibrium. Too much sodium will slow down the movement of fluid through the filtration mechanism of the kidney. What happens there? We start to hold on to water. I mean, just, you know, obviously, yeah, it can make you feel a bit puffy or like you've put on a couple of pounds, but that's, that's just superficial level. What it also does is mean that the watery portion of our blood, the plasma, that all of like the red cells and the white cells and the platelets and other things are suspended within, that watery portion increases in volume. And if you increase the volume that's going through the circulatory system, you increase the pressure against the walls. Just for the simple reason, it's like, you know, with, it, like with a hose pipe, there's a certain amount of give in the hose pipe, but if you put too much water through uh, in one go, you're going to get a damaging amount of pressure within that pipe. Also, sodium is naturally vasoconstrictive, meaning that it causes blood vessels to contract. And you put those two variables together, you can get quite dangerously high blood pressure, not to mention fluid retention and just not feeling too great. If you look at other types of salt, like a very, very good quality, unrefined um, sea salt. So, you know, sometimes you see a sea salt that's, it's almost like cakey in texture and it's like a dull gray color, that unrefined type. So that or something like a good Himalayan crystal salt. You're looking at something that's compositionally very, very different. It's more like a mineral supplement. So yeah, absolutely, there's sodium present. But there's also potassium. And this is like we're getting back to this seesaw again. Potassium literally does the opposite. Potassium stimulates the movement of fluid through the nephron of the kidney. So it increases urinary output. So that decreases the amount of fluid that we hold on to. Potassium is also vasodilatory. Then there's also magnesium in those kind of salts. So magnesium is vasodilatory as well. Plus, you've got all of the trace elements and minerals that you can think of. What you've got there is something that will give you that nice salty flavor, but is much more balanced in terms of its impact on your body. If you go for processed foods, you're going to be getting shed loads of refined sodium, sodium chloride, table salt, which is problematic. If you're cooking at home and you're using one of those good quality salts, you're basically giving yourself a mineral supplement. So I think what we're getting here is when foods are taken from them in their natural form, they actually come back with everything we need, right? Whether it's the fiber, yeah. um, it's when we've messed with them. The whole being greater than some of its parts, as yeah. always. Yeah. yeah so simple, put, putting no, the herbalist ahead. hat on as well. It's like, you know, it's that, it's that synergy. It's how all of the components work together to deliver a, a, a response or an effect that far outweighs any of the individual components in their own right. So we want to try and eat that food that's more. Just get back to just get back. It's just I mean, there's, there's two really, uh, these, I'm sorry how cheesy these sayings are and how hokey they are, but they're accurate. Okay. So the first one is if it, if it ran, swam, grew or flew, then eat it. Everything else leave behind. Or the other one, which is even worse and grammatically terrible is real food doesn't contain ingredients. Real food is ingredients. So as, as crappy as those sayings are, they kind of point you towards the most sensible long-term approach to this. It's like, just get back to whole foods. Let's get back to whole foods. One tip I heard, I don't know if you've ever heard this one as well, is like shop around the outside of the supermarket if you're going to oh, go yeah, to yeah, the yeah. market. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of my favorites. Yeah, so on the left-hand side, and this, this layout is almost 
universal. Like if you, on the left-hand side, you've got all your fruit and vegetables. Towards the back, closer to like the, the chilled areas, like chilled storage, you've got your fish counter, your, your fresh produce. And then on the, on the far right-hand side, you've got your red wine. So you've got everything that you need in life. It's, uh, and then in the middle, there's just a load of chemicals. That in the want. middle, it's just like, you know, food-like substances. Yeah. So talking about food-like substances, I'm going to come on to breakfast because um, it's been touted as the most important meal of the day. There's a lot of terrible breakfast substitutes. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I say that, but that's one of the phrases I hear. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard it's the most, I can't skip yeah, it. Yeah, I think, I think Kellogg's came up with that one. Who came? Okay, yeah, Kellogg's. Kellogg, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And then there's the people who are saying, you know, the fasting camp always skip breakfast. Like, obviously, people are different. But it's how do people mess up breakfast? Like, what are the big things you see? This is just it, going going back to the first thing that we spoke about in terms of blood glucose management. Just keep away from those shitty breakfast cereals. They're not food. What about what about toast? Depends what you have on it. Right, okay. so just a piece of toast on its own, probably your blood glucose will be all over the place. If you put some scrambled egg on that toast, or some peanut butter, and like a sliced up banana, and maybe like sprinkle some seeds on it, happy days. You've got protein, you've got you've got fat, you've got those the slow burning carbohydrates. Make sure that the toast is like multi grain bread and not white. Yeah, then that's going to have a very different response. But you know what? A protein based breakfast is one of the best ways to win the day. 100%. It doesn't matter whether you're doing intermittent fasting, by the way. You could have breakfast at 11 o'clock in the, in, in the morning and still, if you adhere to this one single thing of having it built around protein, you will influence your blood glucose throughout the day. You will influence your uh, like a better management of your appetite as well. So... Protein increases the production of satiety hormones, things like peptide YY that actually keep us feeling fuller for longer. Because I guarantee you eat like, you know, a bowl of um, bowl of Frosties and a slice of white toast with God knows what on it. Your blood glucose is going to go through the roof and you might feel fine for about 20 minutes, but then it's going to come crashing right back down, which not only will make you feel like you've just been dug up, it's going to stimulate appetite as well because what's happened? Your blood glucose has gone below the safe parameter. So the body's response to that is like, we need to bring glucose back into this safe range, stimulate appetite. That's the way to do it. So it's going to constantly get you on that, on that, that blood sugar roller coaster. Your energy levels are going to be like peaking and crashing. Your mood is just going to be atrocious. Your concentration is going to be a thing of the past. And your appetite is going to be all over the place. But if you build it around protein, you're going to get a very gentle rise in blood glucose. You're going to get an increase in those satiety hormones. So your appetite is going to be regulated. The difference it's going to make is staggering. And absolutely, have some carbs at breakfast. I mean, one of, I, I like to have porridge pots for breakfast, but I'll, I'll maybe put like a bit of whey protein in there, some ground seeds, or I might have a couple of boiled eggs with it, something like that. So you've got that balance of the slow burning carbohydrate with that good protein source. As long as there's protein as a focal point of that breakfast, the difference it will make is drastic. And that's one of the main things we work with with clients is getting that protein. I think, especially for, for women, uh, it sounds like a generalization, but I, I only work with women. A lot of them don't have this mindset where they need to get protein. So we, we coach them on that because not only does, does everyone need a good amount of protein in a diet, but as you said, it sets you up for the rest of the day to not yeah. have this roller coaster of cravings. And then, you know, so I think in that respect, it is a really important meal. It's definitely yeah. not having shreddies that will keep your hunger locked up till lunch, which is complete yeah, nonsense. Buggery. Yeah. So that's breakfast. I think we covered that one. What about the five a day or now what we're hearing from like Tim Spector, you mentioned earlier is like the yeah. opposite thing, which is like the, we'll do this as the last one the 30 a day so there's like he's saying have 30 different fruit and veg yes and then and that's not 30, 30 different portions otherwise you'd be you know you'd be bloated you'd feel like crap what tim's saying is 30 different plants right so you can get half a portion of one and half a portion of another and just little bits mix it up so that your veg portion could consist of three or four different types of veg because it's the diversity of 
phytochemicals and types of fiber that have the benefits there. So don't, an important thing, don't misread the message that he's saying there. He's not saying 30 portions a day because you'd just, you'd, you'd be constantly eating, um, but 30 different types. So if you're having a portion of veg that's like, I don't know, like a, a big handful, that could consist of four different types of vegetables. Like if you mix the, the variety. salad, mix the salad up together, and then measured out a portion of that salad. That salad could consist of of six different plants. So, so that's that's that that's the difference right? there. Yeah. You know what? I again, if if you're if you're building your diet out of whole foods, and if you're not just eating a carnivore diet or a cheese diet, you are getting a diversity of plants because you're not eating anything else. See what I mean? If you're filling your diet up with these amazing foods, then that's what your diet consists of. And that's as much as you need worry about because you're not filling your diet with things other than these incredible whole foods. I mean, five a day is just like a minimum really, mm. but it's, it's quite easy when you think like, you know, breakfast, you could have scrambled egg with some red onions and a bit of spinach. For lunch, you could have like a, a really good dense salad with, you know, maybe some some white beans and some beetroot and some feta cheese and just as many different leaves as, as you can get in there. Then with your evening meal, you could have a baked sweet potato, some, some broccoli, some greens and a nice big lump of protein. Is it exactly 30? No, maybe, maybe not. Is it a diverse intake of plant foods across each meal? Yes. That's what you need to worry about, really. If you, if you're again, we look at we, we we've got to think about long term adherence. Yeah, I mean, like when when you're excited about it, you might sit there and try and consciously calculate x y amount of plants, but two weeks in, when you're getting thoroughly pissed off with it, it's not going to happen. But if you're just looking at patterns, it's just like looking at a plate. Is there some protein on there? Is there some plants on there? Is there some healthy fats on there and some slow burning carbs? Yep, cool, done. Easy. Love that. So super simple. We want it to be really colorful, hit those things. Yeah. And that's really all there is to it. That's, that's it all there really is to it. That's all, that's all there is to it. Of course, every single one of us has nuances. Every single yeah. one of us has biochemical individuality, which is like the old school phrase that we always used to use. So we're all there. But with, only within certain parameters. There are general rules yeah. that are relatable to the human creature. You know, it's like, it's like you know, these, these Muppets that put dogs and cats on vegetarian diets. It's like, physiologically, they are carnivorous creatures. Like, you are killing that animal by doing that. There are certain rules that apply to certain species in terms of general dietary composition. Then outside of that, we work on our nuances and we we experiment. We look at certain things that work better for us and certain things that, you know, because you might be eating a certain food that like you or I would recommend. And when every time they eat it, it's like, it just makes me feel like crap. It just doesn't suit me. Mm. So leave it out. Try something else. But there's only a certain amount of variation within the human genome. So there's only a certain amount of variation that there will be when it comes to recommended dietary patterns obviously there's a lot of wiggle room within that but yeah those general kind of rules will apply to everyone in one way or another 100 percent, and that's that's kind of where i guess where we operate so as trinity like we we look at those bigger patterns and help people with the basics they're messing up whether it's yeah. getting protein in breakfast whether it's more omega-3s less of the omega-6 containing oils things like that but if people want to get more nuanced i know obviously this is your area of expertise so where I know you've got a few different programs. So yeah. You've got a few different programs and the private consultation people can do. So they Yeah, I mean, the most basic level is just pri private consultation. And, and bef bef before we even speak to each other, you'll get, you'll get like diet diaries sent out and those kind of things. So just look at what's going on with you. Look at, look at look what you're eating, what you're doing. Look at, look at what symptoms you're experiencing. We'll go through lots of differential diagnosis questioning. So there'll be, there'll be questioning throughout the consultation that will lead me to kind of figure out what's going on with you physiologically, figure out whether there's a need to tell you to get your ass down the doctor straight away or, mm -hmm. okay, there seems to be this going on. Maybe we could look at this kind of testing. That's how the consultation will work. And then we'll actually build a relatively targeted 
protocol based on that kind of questioning. Then on the other end of that, there's there's like the very, very advanced level program, which is reverse and reset, which is where we start off with the most comprehensive blood work you've probably ever had done in your entire life, where we look at look at HbA1c, where we look at cholesterol, where we do advanced lipid panels. So we look at not only cholesterol levels and cholesterol number, we look at cholesterol particle size, we look at underlying inflammatory markers. We've got like the most in-depth snapshot of your metabolic physiology that anyone's ever had. And then we'll build a detailed four-month program on that. So that's the other end of the spectrum. Then in the middle, there's a program that I'm launching hopefully within within the next month but you know that as they say best laid plans of uh, mice and men called the metabolic fix and this is this is a self-directed online course where you're going to be working through some, some some of the key information that we've been talking about here that's been turned into unique challenges and processes that you need to go through in order to actually create measurable change as you go through this this program so there'll be obviously a waiting list for that on my website just put your details in there and you get more information on that so there's there's loads of ways that we can work together to get to this end point it just depends on where you're at and how deep you want to go and what kind of way of working suits you really i mean whether it's just simple one-to-one ad hoc or or right in the deep end or self-directed and where's the best place for people to find all these details? It's on your website. So yeah, so my main website it's just dalepinnock.com, or indeed if if you want to find me on on socials, I'm probably most active on Instagram, um, the medicinal chef, and do bits on YouTube and stuff as well. Yeah, so we'll drop all those links into the show notes into the description. Definitely give Dale a follow as well. Your Instagram's brilliant. I'm always watching your videos and learning new things from it all the time. Um, so go and check those out, Dale. I know you're super busy. You're launching all these new programs. Um, so I'm going to let you get cracking. But I just want to say cool. thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a fascinating it's a pleasure. There's about a thousand other things I want to ask you, but we'll draw a line today. <laughs> but as as you can see, I don't do concise answers, so we'd probably be here until Christmas. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. But look, thank you so much again. Um, and we'll catch you again soon. So thank you for listening to today's episode of the Trinity Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to hit that subscribe button inside your podcast app so you don't miss future shows. And also please leave us a quick review. It only takes two minutes. We do all of these shows completely for free to help you. So we'd really appreciate a quick review if it's helped you at all. So thank you again so much for listening. And we'll catch you next week for the next episode of the Trinity Podcast.